For those who fish, this is the Drake cast. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. It could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. This week, we're replaying a couple old episodes. They're both about the Mississippi River, and they're both about family and fishing on 11-11, Armistice Day, Veterans Day, which is when this episode is being released. If you're listening on 11-11, I'm currently down on the Mississippi River, probably not catching anything. So here we go. This past Veterans Day, I met up with an old family friend. Frost-covered leaves lined the walkway leading up to the front door. How are you? Good. This is quite the place you got here, Patty. This is Patty. She's maybe five foot two, has short salt and pepper hair, and sports an accent unique to Independence, Wisconsin. Or as the locals call it, independence. You know, I don't want to freak you out, but we could have had squirrel this morning because I cooked them yes a few days ago, you know? If venison hadn't already been on the stove, I would have taken her up on it. We drank Folgers while we waited for the meat to cook. My grandfather Bill had sat in this same kitchen 70 years prior, before Patty or I were born, back when Patty's dad, Ed, had owned it. Bill and Ed met through the local bar association after World War II and quickly became fishing friends. Each Veterans Day, the men would load their John boat and drive to the Mississippi River, where it separates Wisconsin from Minnesota. They did it to honor the friends that didn't make it through the war. They did it because the courthouse was closed. They did it because the fishing was good. Ed and Bill are no longer with us, so it was up to Patty and me to keep the tradition alive. The fish were biting that November 11. I threw bunny leeches on a graphite fly rod that had belonged to my grandpa. Patty chucked zoom baits with a Mitchell 300 reel that had to have been at least 50 years old. She navigated her John boat through the same sloughs that Bill and Ed had shown Patty five decades prior. As we motored along, she told me about the olden days. My sister and my mother were not interested in fishing, so it was uh, my dad and your dad and, and two boys. And we'd have brandy when we'd catch a fish. My dad would open the big green tackle box and bring out this silver flask. And so we'd all have to have a snort of brandy. And Bill would light up a cigar <laughs> my dad would be lighting up a pipe, and um, my dad would be cold out here, and we'd be fishing anyway, and he'd reach in the tackle box and bring out this bottle of camphorated oil. And <laughs> we'd all be rubbing our hands with camphorated oil because that's supposed to help make our, make our hands warm. It wasn't until she was in middle school that her dad finally let her come on the Veterans Day trip whereas my grandpa had been bringing his boys along since they were in diapers. Early on, I was drawn to fish. And um, back in the 50s, that was sort of unacceptable. Girls are supposed to be in dresses and can-cans and, and doing that stuff. But I would have rather been walking around with a cane pole and a can of worms. When she could, Patty would escape to the woods in the water. But as she got older, there were certain expectations of her that she just didn't really mold to. And having, not having that sense of being able to fit in, 
you know, and trying to fit in, I think led me to a lot of a lot of drinking and. Uh, you know, it was never just have one. Why even start? Why even begin? I was drinking from a really early age when I was just old enough to reach the beer bottles off of the tables. And I think that gave me that sense of ease and comfort, you know, that you get with having your mind being able to just quiet down. And that then became sort of my social life. And it finally got the best of me. My life had to take a take a huge turn. I was pretty well broken to be open to something different in my life. And, and at 33 years old, I finally quit drinking. But the one thing that was constant in my life was the, was the woods and the water and the wind, you know. That was always my comforting place. I'm really grateful for our dads and our grandpas, you know, that fished and instilled in us, you know, the love of the outdoors, you know. That, that really saved my life, you know. Saved my life in, in more ways than one. And it's always great to be here because I can just not have to think everything else goes, goes away, you know. Right then, a fish swirled at her bait. Did you see him come up after that son of a gun? Yeah. That rock's there, that's a hot spot. The train rolled through, and Patty cast at the rock again. This time, the fish took the bait. I thought he was bigger. He fought. Right. We'll put him on the, on the board here and see if we can get 14 inches out of him. Ooh. Can't. 13 and, yeah, 13 and a half. Patty set the bass back in the water. She put the rod down and went back to talking about her days on the Mississippi with her father. It was always a good time. There was never anybody was jealous of anything or, or anything like that. It was just everybody want, wanted to be here, just like today. Just like today. Everybody wants to be here. I feel really good about having Elliot in my boat. <laughs> I feel really good about, really good about that. I felt pretty good about being in Patty's boat as well. Dusk had settled by the time we made it back to the takeout. Patty single-handedly secured the boat to the trailer while I tried not to get in the way. She was used to doing this alone, and I didn't want to upset her ritual. When I agreed to meet Patty on the Mississippi, my main goal was to learn about the grandfather that I never had a chance to meet. And I accomplished that. But more importantly, I got to hear Patty's story. And now I have a new fishing partner. Before we parted, she gave me a big bag of venison jerky and an even bigger hug. We agreed to meet in the same place in exactly one year. The tradition lives on. When we return from the break, we'll head back out on the water for some more tales of olden times. Seeing as this episode is coming out on 11.11, and it's about 11.11, we gotta talk about our sponsor, The Eleven Experience. Whether you're looking to chase sea-run trout from a helicopter in Patagonia, or watch the northern lights from a heated pool in Iceland, the adventure guides at the Eleven Experience have the perfect trip for you. For more information on how you can fish, ski, and enjoy the best rivers and mountains on the planet, visit elevenexperience.com. That's E-L-E-V-E-N experience.com. This episode is also made possible by Scott Flyrods. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you'll know that there's no piece of fishing gear I love more than my 9.5-foot, 8-weight Scott Radiant. And I still love that rod. 
But did you know that Scott now has a whole new line of fast-action freshwater rods in the Cendrix series? These new workhorses feature CarbonLink, X-Core, Multimodulus, Fiberfuse resin with MilSpec 3, and a natural finish? To find out what the hell any of those buzzwords mean, and to find the rod of your dreams, visit your local fly shop or scottflyrod.com. That's scottflyrod, singular, not rods, dot com. Okay, we're back from the ads and going back in time. Because there's another reason that Patty's dad and my granddad used to fish that same stretch of the Mississippi River on Veterans Day. It's actually a specific event that happened 82 years ago. There aren't many people left that remember that day. But a few years back, I managed to find one of them. Oh, you want me to start from the beginning, sir? Yeah, yeah. That's great. This is Dave. He's 91, still well over six feet tall, not completely bald, and of course, a bit hard of hearing. At that time, there were lots and lots of ducks, probably a hundred or more ducks to one duck that we have now. And the Keller's Island was right out from Buffalo City. And it was, uh, oh, you might almost say famous for the duck hunting, duck hunters. So if you wanted a spot over in Keller's Island on a weekend, you had to get your butt out of bed early in the morning to get over there because there were a lot of guys there to hunt. I met Dave at St. Michael's Assisted Living Facility in Fountain City, Wisconsin which is right on the banks of the Mississippi River. And Fountain City is just a few miles downstream from Buffalo City and Keller's Island. That Keller's Island was at one time owned by my granddad. My dad used to call it our island once in a while. That always sort of tickled me. And Dave got to telling me a story that took place nearly eight decades ago. I was about uh, 14 years old when... This happened. My dad wanted to go duck hunting. He liked to hunt ducks. In those years, the duck hunting was great. You could go out most any day and shoot some ducks, even if it's sunny days. But uh, we'd always prefer to go out in a morning where it's uh, windy and cold, you know. And this particular morning? The day started out nice. Distinctly remember, I wanted to go duck hunting with my dad. Things were really looking up for some good shooting. And my folks said, no, I had to go to school. Anyway, uh, I went to school. My dad went duck hunting. And uh, when school was out, my mother sent me out to the garden. And there was some cabbage out there yet. And when I went out there to get the cabbage, the rain that had been falling was freezing on the cabbage. I always remember him coming in the house as Auntie Cota's iced up, you know. He had four just awfully nice green heads, and he said he could have shot the whole lot more if he could have, could have seen them coming. But he said, you had to shoot, and the ducks were flying with the wind, so they were flying probably 60, 70 miles an hour. <laughs> He didn't get over to Keller's Island like he had planned to. So it's, uh, and when I saw him, then I was sort of glad I didn't go along. But anyway. <clears throat> Dave's dad actually hitched a ride home because when he got back to his car after duck hunting, the rain had frozen the handle shut and he just couldn't get into his vehicle. But anyway, uh, 
dad came home and got different clothes on and got a thermos bottle of hot water to pour on the door handle. And we went down to Roar's garage to see if there was somebody there that could take us to Buffalo City, over to the car. Thankfully, there was. The wind was still whipping, but by this time, the freezing rain had turned into snow. Dad poured the hot water in the handle so we could get in the car and get the car home. While they were retrieving the car from Buffalo City, they noticed some signs of life across the channel on Keller's Island. And there was some guys trying to launch a boat to get over to rescue some of these people. The wind was so bad out of the north and northwest, they couldn't get the boat launched. That that evening, the guys worked, worked their butts off trying to get a boat in the water to get over to the islands where these guys were. They, those guys tried their very best to get the boat in the water. I get a little emotional, but uh, that's the way it is. But uh, that was a storm to remember. This was the great Armistice Day blizzard of 1940. All in all, the storm killed 149 people across the Midwest. And a few dozen of those casualties were duck hunters stuck on the Mississippi River in places like Keller's Island. In this episode, we travel back in time through the sloughs of the Mississippi River to honor the fallen duck hunters. The muddy backwaters hold untold stories, but they're also fertile ground for creating new memories. Stick around. Like every year, November 11, 2017, started in Independence, Wisconsin, at Patty's house. Hi, Patty. Hi there. Once again, this is Patty. Her dad and my granddad used to fish together on the Mississippi. Patty, cup of joe. This is my dad. His name's Tim. He's also helped keep this tradition alive. And him and Patty used to fish on the Mississippi together as kids and still do so now as certified senior citizens. Serving some wild game this morning, so not everybody likes wild game, so I will not feel offended if you don't want to eat it. What kind of wild game we got this morning, Patty? We got squirrel. Wow. My favorite rodent. (laughs) This is my dad's friend, Mark. He's from the area and has joined us for the last two years on the Mississippi. We got squirrel and we got some wild rice bread. Nice. We got venison, bologna sausage, and we got a traditional Polish dish, dish called uh, krupnok or grit bologna. Krupnok? Krupnok. It's okay. Polish. No, okay. I think I've never heard of krupnok. And finally, ever the contrarian, this is John. He's another friend of my dad's and actually of distant relation to Patty because everyone in and around Independence, Wisconsin is somehow related to everybody else in that area. Group no, not with an E. If you put a vowel on the end, it becomes too Italian. Oh, wow. (laughs) I'm not sure it would be, I guess. 
As we loaded our plates, Patty brought out an ancient jaundiced newspaper from a Veterans Day a few decades back. What is that? How old is that paper? <laughs> yellow. Yeah. Max Conrad spent the night of the blizzard at a concert by a young Milwaukee pianist named Walter Liberace. Wow, wow. <laughs> the next morning, he flew his Piper Cub into Gill Winds to spot stranded hunters. So he's he's was a, one of the great heroes of that of yeah. the next day. Yeah. yeah. You know, it goes on to tell here that about some kids that were out there. The ice wasn't thick enough to walk on, but Jim and Ray dragged the boat across the marsh until they wore through the hull. Jim found the skiff but went through the ice into the water up to his neck. Ooh. Burton Smith, the shop teacher at Logan, finally made it to the island where Laverne had huddled under the tarp. They somehow made it to shore. Ray Bice found another skiff chained to a tree. He shot the lock off and straddled the little boat as he scooted towards the tiny island. Dick wore a ring in the snow where he had spent the night running in circles to stay warm, but he was alive and smiling. Wow. And that was just from, you know, these guys from Winona. And it goes on. So. Of course, these were the stories of survival from those who lived. We'll never know what exactly happened to those duck hunters that didn't make it back to shore. What do you think about this fishing today, Elliot? We huddled around the newspaper and the food for a good while because it was a heck of a lot nicer indoors than it was outside. It's gonna be cold, then. We gotta give it a try, don't we? We have to give it a try. Gotta give it a try? A little concerned about the boat landing itself. Is that gonna be slippery? My concern is, uh, is the wind. And not only the wind, but the freezing up on the guides. That's the evil part. The ice forming on the guides. Does that work? Does that happen on your fly rods? Oh, it does. It does. Yeah, that kind of stops it. But by 11 o'clock, it should be 32 degrees. <laughs> but if they're biting, it's okay. But if they're not biting, like winds. Somewhat reluctantly, we hitched the John boats onto the back of the trucks and headed south. It was cold that morning. The salt trucks were out for the first time I had seen that year, and a thin layer of ice covered the slack water that we passed on our way to the river. We weren't the first cars at the boat landing. Patty explained that the other vehicles probably belonged to duck hunters. I loaded into Patty's boat while John, Mark, and my old man readied their craft. Are you ready? Patty's 10-horsepower motor moved us along just quickly enough for the cold to fully penetrate the five layers of wool, polyester, down, and Gore-Tex that I wore. So it's an overcast day, and it's November 11th. It's Armistice Day, now called Veterans Day, and we're down here, and we're fishing on the backwaters of the Mississippi, honoring, honoring those who were out here in the storm on that day and reflecting back on what it was like. Grateful to be here. Hope I can come again next year. And we're not seeing any other human beings around here because there's not too many other fools out here on a day like today. Seeing some migrations of some birds. Seeing some pelicans and swans, some eagles. 
And we're actually running our, running our baits off the edge of the ice every once in a while, casting them up on the edge, bringing them right off the edge, hoping for a big carpoosh, but. What was your dad's experience down here on Armistice Day Blizzard? Did he have an experience down here? Or was he in Independence? My dad was an attorney in Grant County at the time, and he had a little cabin at uh, Glen Haven, Wisconsin. Which is about 100 miles south of where we were, but still on the Mississippi River, right on the Iowa-Wisconsin border. Him and some of the guys from the courthouse went out there duck hunting. And they had single-shot, 20-gauge shotguns, and they had two boats, and my dad had a wooden boat with a a horse-and-a-half motor on it. And they had gone out duck hunting with two different boats, and he came in when the storm started up, and his buddy, the other boat wasn't there yet. Well, it was, those guys, other guys didn't have a motor. So they went out to get them. And when they got to them, the guys were just, their clothes were wet and frozen. And so they got him in the boat. By that time, the blizzard was raging, and all the water that was coming up was freezing onto the boat. And they had, uh, my dad had the guy in the front of the boat with a hatchet knocking the ice off of the boat so that the boat wouldn't sink. And with this little horse and a half motor, they did get back in. And then those other two guys, they couldn't get them out of the boat because they couldn't bend their knees or anything because their clothes were frozen so stiff. So they pulled them into this little cabin where they had a wood stove going and they, and they thawed them out and, um, and they weathered, weathered out the storm in that, in that little cabin until they could get out of there. And um, little did they know how, how extensive the storm was, you know, but uh, the snow and everything, but they had enough wood to keep the, keep the ca- fire going. And so they just hunkered down there for a couple of days until they could get out of there. So that was, that was his, his story of the storm, and he was fortunate to even have an outboard motor because most of the people didn't have outboard motors at that time. The fish continued to ignore Patty's swim baits and my flies. Yeah, a tree like this should just, just be rolling with fish, you know? And you can't, can't even get something to even swirl at it. And before we knew it, Noontime rolled up, and it was time for lunch. Every great Midwestern gathering is centered around food. There might be some fishing or hunting or card playing in between, but it's mainly about the grub. You've gotten nothing. We've gotten nothing. Not a follow, not a thing. Where were you guys? In Grassy? We went to the bar. We should have. No rises or anything? We stood around the fire eating head cheese on saltines, Braunschweiger sandwiches, and homemade soup, all of which we washed down with coffee that tasted quite a bit like the thermos in which it came. As we stood around telling stories of previous trips to the Mississippi, I was reminded of a quote by Faye Augustine, who works for the nonprofit American Rivers. You have your greatest connection with 
kind of nature and with family and friends when you're on a river. And not only does that establish such an important kind of emotional connection with people that you're with, but it also establishes a really important emotional connection with a place. And she's definitely right. I fondly remember attempting to spear muskrats and deer on November 11th, back when I was in middle school. Mark brought along an old hardy bamboo fly rod that had been his father's and his grandfather's before that. The two men had long since passed away, but their legacy lived on through the hands that held their fly rods. Even Dave, the old-timer from the assisted living facility, still loves the mighty Mississippi. I got a son that lives at, do you ever hear Brooklyn, Wisconsin? And he gets here to look after me when the fishing is good. He's here. Uh, he gets me in the boat. But, uh... <laughs> how, how did it feel being back out on the water with your son? Wonderful. I've always liked the river. I was, uh, really elated to get back out there and uh, catch those sunnies. <laughs> as important as it is to remember those who are no longer with us, we also need to embrace the next generation and show them our favorite places. Just last week, John had brought his grandson down to the Mississippi, and the kid had managed to land a 10-pound northern. Of course, Patty had to put her two cents in as well. Yeah, I got these two granddaughters, you know, and I don't know if they want to be doctors or nurses or scientists or biologists or IT people, but all I can do is show them what I know and let them choose if they want to be, if they want, if they want to learn that, you know. And so I had a problem with, you know, what am I going to do with these two little girls, you know, and because I'm sort of on the edge anyway with the hunting and fishing. But I thought, Patty, just be yourself. And they just love it, you know? We come down here and go out in the sandbars. Come down here and go out in the sandbars, catch fish, and they play in the, play in the sand, make castles, catch fish, and yeah, they get some pretty big fish out there. And it's fun because they can run in the sand and nobody else is here. So they're not afraid of digging worms. They like to take the fish off the hook, and they're not a, just to, to not be afraid of nature. Just to, <laughs> yeah, somebody's, somebody's having going to have something for supper. Yeah, to just not be afraid, you know, and to, they come out here and there's no bringing any electronics, and I don't even have to tell them not to bring electronics. They just don't want any part of it because there's so many things to, to see and do and discover and look for treasures, and, and I hope that they just never lose that enthusiasm for the awe, just the awesomeness of nature. I'm just really, really fortunate to have, to have those girls and have an opportunity to pass on, to pass on what I know, you know, so. How long until you invite them on an 11-11 trip? Oh, it'll be a while. <laughs> it'll be a while, it'll be a pretty nice day. We floated around the sloughs that hadn't yet frozen over until we felt like we had done our part to keep the tradition alive. We met back at the boat landing. Five folks fishing for six hours for a grand total of 30 fishing hours and not a single fish to show. But I don't think anyone really minded. It felt right to be floating in the wake of our forefathers, surrounded by the memory of the duck hunters that never really left the river.
This episode is dedicated to those who lost their lives in the 1940 Armistice Day storm, as well as all of our nation's veterans. Thank you for your service. Okay, before we go, we have one more piece of tape from our good friend, old-timer Dave, who you met at the beginning. Oh, another thing I've got to tell you about. We had a little Boston Terrier. Dick was a friendly dog. He liked everybody. He loved to ride in the car, but he hated chickens. <laughs> so my dad paid for chickens a couple of times that Dick was involved with. <laughs> uh, and he didn't like cats either. So there was a cat around, he was right after it. He'd go out, he'd swim for anything. So we'd t- when it wasn't too cold, we'd take him along, go duck hunting. And one day... Uh, Dad and I were over at Keller's Island. Anyway, we were over there one day, and I think there was two fellows, I think they were from Alba, and they had uh, a couple of golden retrievers. So the other guys who were out there hunting ended up shooting a duck. But... Uh, their, their dogs wouldn't go out. Dad said, we'll send Dick out. So what he'd do is he'd stick an empty shell in the mud and throw it out. A very ecologically friendly, sustainable practice. And old Dick would see that splash out there, he'd go out there. No matter what was out there, he'd retrieve it. But anyway, Dad threw the shell out and out went Dick. Here old Dick came in with the duck. And the one guy said... I'll be damned. He said, if I didn't see this, I wouldn't believe it. (laughs) But I'll never forget that day he got that duck out of the water for those guys. (laughs) Couldn't hardly believe it. A little old bulldog retrieving. I hope that you're all able to appreciate the image of Dick with a duck in his mouth, rather than the other way around. We'll be back in a couple weeks with the Fall 2022 Magazine Rundown with Tom Bai, so keep your eyes on the podcast feed. In the meantime, thanks for listening. This has been The Drake Cast.